Section 14 of Unknown London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Unknown London by Walter George Bell. Chapter 13 Waxworks in the Abbey. I confess some reverence for the waxworks at Westminster Abbey that too often is withheld from them, paying to them the respect due to the burial customs of our ancestors. Their homeliness, too, has pleased me. It is part of the topsy turviness of things that a show of wax figures of historical personages nowadays has no interest for the young but makes its appeal solely to the aged it is always a pleasure to revive the memories of youth and that we greyheads may enjoy in their company for in our time these and their life were the simple joys of our growing years the blase lad of to-day a horror to his grandfather dissimulate he never so well who is familiar with stage heroes and reared to association with sock and buskin at a time of life when his sedate elders considered an annual visit to the pantomime the limit of permissible enjoyment he affects scorn for mere wax figures were i the guardian and showman of the abbey waxworks i would exclude the impudent young such powers of stimulating interest as i might possess i would give to those whom time has sobered they should see queen elizabeth in all her panoply of monstrous fashion for them alone should king charles the second stare out of his glass pane and nelson with his one good eye gaze into futurity the duchess of richmond should stand with her parrot only before them Monk, duke of albemarle i say with regret is to-day too dilapidated even to be shown but there are those mentioned and various others still fit companionship for the appreciative audiences of the middle-aged and elders whom i would invite to tour with me the abbey waxworks the young scoffer outside the portals would not trouble me the ignorant alone find incongruity in the association of wax figures and our glorious abbey and they are the majority for the average stroller among the tombs would be puzzled to give a reason why the effigies are here they are survivals of a custom centuries old the cherished right of a roman noble was that of having figures with waxen masks representing his ancestors carried at his obsequies and placed in his hall and from the romans the observance was handed down effigies of english kings were borne before the body at royal funerals with pikes reversed carried at the shoulder and hatchments displayed and the measured tread of armed men and all the pomp and blaze of heraldry as can be traced in records far back to the fourteenth century and where kings led the practice was followed by our great nobles at the interment the effigies were raised high upon a hearse 
This was a platform heavily draped with black hangings, and often decorated with arms and sculptured devices, which remained for varying periods in place over the grave, or sometimes by the high altar. Ben Jonson refers to it in his famous epitaph on the Countess of Pembroke. Quote, Underneath this sable hearse lies the subject of all verse, Sidney's sister, Pembroke's mother, death ere thou hast slain another, fair and wise and good as she, time shall throw his dart at thee. End quote. The wax effigies, now sent aloft to an upper chamber of Abbot John Islip's chapel, as if in disgrace and out of joint with the times, once stood about among the tombs on the abbey floor. Odd they must have looked in such surroundings, with bright costumes and flashing mock jewels, when all around was brown and gray, lacking reverence as today we understand it. But they meant no irreverence. Monk's standing figure above his own grave was most fitting, for in this posture he died. His spirit was unconquerable, quote, like a Roman general and soldier, end quote, wrote an eye-witness of the memorable scene at his passing. Quote, he died standing almost up in his chair, his chamber like a tent open, and all his officers about him. End quote. Ben Jonson it is, poet and roistering liver, who in the abbey is buried upstanding. The story runs that Jonson begged of King Charles I a favor. Quote, what is it? End quote, said the king. Quote, give me eighteen inches of square ground, end quote. Quote, where, end quote, asked the king, quote, in Westminster Abbey, end quote. And there he stands awaiting the resurrection, in the north aisle of the nave, in the path of square stones, beneath one marked by a small triangular lozenge, in which has been recut the old inscription, O Rare Ben Johnson. Loose sand of Johnson's grave when, in 1849, Sir Robert Wilson was buried close by, quote, rippled in like a quicksand, end quote, and the clerk of works, who superintended the operation, quote, saw the two leg bones of Johnson fixed bolt upright in the sand, as though the body had been buried in the upright position, and the skull came rolling down among the sand from a position above the leg-bones, to the bottom of the newly-made grave. There was still hair upon it, and it was of a red color. Once again this skull, from which so much living verse had sprung, was seen on the digging of John Hunter's grave, and, quote, it had still traces of red hair upon it, end quote. These wax effigies of Westminster Abbey should be accepted, not as mere showpieces, but as part of our burial ritual that for centuries was honored in England. They have seized my errant fancy, left alone with them in this upper chamber. I have felt on intimate terms with kings and heroes, a man as good as they I. My sense of living tells me, better than they, there is not the separation, as from those who lie below, by all the majesty of death, 
and the funeral trappings carving piled upon carving richness upon richness about those whom no term illustrious by which vain mortals strive in a pitiful effort to conceal that death is the common leveller the glories of our blood and state are shadows not substantial things there is no armor against fate death lays his icy hand on kings sceptre and crown must tumble down and in the dust be equal made with the poor crooked scythe and spade End quote. that is the message which every dim arcade and chapel in our glorious abbey gives these wax figures are men and women not heroes really as like the living presentment as their framers could make them as they lived walked and talked a little stiff no doubt but not with the stiffness of those recumbent effigies in colder marble and bronze that lie upon the tombs was ever there a more kindly figure of king charles the second than this in wax in the islip chapel a little bibulous perhaps the nose has appeared to me not quite kind or is it merely the effects of time darkening the soft substance of which it is composed he holds his arms and disjointed fingers as if suffering internal pain to which the full eyes seek to give expression that homely pain which monarchs who have dined not wisely but too well share with lesser folk no formal sovereignty is limited here the lined face the somewhat ridiculous wig give only the man i would take charles the second given the choice in preference over all the other company of wax queen elizabeth i do not covet she lies gloriously in marble a sovereign and a tutor recumbent in that great canopied cenotaph which james the first placed in king henry the eighth's chapel to her memory a companion tomb to that in the opposite ambulatory to mary queen of scots the one woman his mother the other her executioner both memorials raised by the same hand was ever before a son so placed to fulfil such a task elizabeth in wax is posed as the queen a stout matronly figure overdressed in a raiment of gorgeous needlework and lace overloaded with mock jewels wax does not lend itself to the similitude of majesty and she could be masterful listen to her talking to the stout yeoman gathering in harness at tilbury quote, i know i have but the body of a weak and feeble woman but i have the heart of a king and a king of england too End quote there is the tudor ring this effigy is preposterous not human the orb held in one hand and the sceptre in the other are merely the showman's additions to an unsatisfying figure better than this is nelson so gaunt and frail for at least it is unpretentious the admiral is dressed in blue coat with a mass of gold lace and curious flat buttons white kerseymere breeches and silk stockings and huge cocked hat overshadowing the pale face all save the coat being clothes that he actually wore a little dapper gentleman has it struck you how strangely untrue is nelson 
the exemplar of them all to the type of the british sailor so hearty bluff and weathered the image of elizabeth oldest of this company was contemporary for it is mentioned in king james the first's reign when on king christianus of denmark coming to the abbey it was beautified amended and adorned with royal vestments little of the original remains in the present figure save perhaps the face which may be from the authentic death mask being worn out in the eighteenth century quote, with the remnants of an old dirty ruff and nothing else to cover her end quote. fie and for such a queen the figure was remade in seventeen sixty by order of the chapter to commemorate the bicentenary of the foundation by elizabeth of the collegiate church of westminster the wax figure of charles the second used to stand over his now unadorned grave in henry the seventh's magnificent chapel others of royal lineage are william the third and mary a couple much admired in less critical days than these and buxom homely queen anne catherine duchess of buckinghamshire proud of her royal descent as a natural daughter of james the second makes a notable wax figure and one must believe that it was the subject of her personal care the dying duchess a poor desolate soul who had outlived her husband and all her children displayed quite remarkable interest in her own funeral preparations she sent for garter king-at-arms to come to the deathbed and quote, feared dying before the pomp should come home end quote. Quote, why i she asked peevishly don't they send the canopy for me to see let them send it though all the tassels are not finished end quote. she made her ladies vow to her that if she should lie senseless they would not sit down in her presence before she was dead what great to do over so commonplace a thing as a passing artistically the prettiest of the waxworks is that of her son the young duke who is shown recumbent as the body was brought from rome the duchess of richmond died seventeen o two arranged for her waxwork in her will it was to stand quote, at the corner of the great east window to be as well done in wax as could be end quote, dressed in the robes and coronet that she wore at the coronation of queen anne and to be quote, under clear crown glass and none other end quote. a mr goldsmith of london was the artist the imperious lady also directed in her testament that her favorite parrot should accompany the figure as it is shown these and lord chatham in scarlet robes and the mere blocks of some other kings and queens upon which no ornament remains complete the company of the ragged regiment as it has been termed these figures at westminster are mostly the living effigies made for the funerals but not the two of most recent date chatham added in seventeen seventy nine when the custom of burying effigies had ceased to be observed owes his appearance among the wax group to the desire of the minor canons and lay vicars 
who eked out their scanty incomes by the fees paid by visitors to make the show more attractive the great statesman proved such a draw that the charge for admission was raised from threepence to sixpence dean stanley to whose memorials i am a debtor quotes the laudatory notice of a guide-book of the year seventeen eighty three quote, lately introduced it says at a considerable expense the eagerness of connoisseurs and artists to see this figure and the satisfaction it affords justly places it among the first of the kind ever seen in this or any other country nelson's introduction is still more remarkable for unlike the first pit he does not lie in the abbey st paul's holds the bones of that incomparable sailor and to wren's cathedral his coffin was borne through the streets of london on a great funeral car which afterwards was deposited there sightseers flocked in thousands to see it deserting westminster to the monetary loss of the officials of the abbey they met the competition by setting up this wax figure of the naval hero it is said to have been the speculation of the vergers whose enterprise was justified by results for the crowds returned the show was not seemly but after all the vergers might have retorted that they did only as their predecessors had done for in medieval london there was competition not less lively in the rival attractions of the sacred relics of st paul's and westminster End of chapter 14 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida